I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our conversation about the N-word. If you tuned in yesterday, you heard a discussion about the word, its usage, and the impact. We welcomed three Nashville luminaries who were gracious in sharing their perspectives and experiences. We also opened up the phone lines to hear what you had to say about what I call the most complicated word in the American English language. Now, today we're talking with some younger Nashvilleans about the N-word and how it's used in public spaces, notably in hip-hop and rap music, as well as in the world of stand-up comedy. We're fully aware that this word is a subject that is difficult. So we're recording live and we're required to hit the five-second dump button every time somebody uses the N-word during the broadcast. This causes an odd break in the dialogue. You can hear the uncut version of today's show later on in the podcast version. So one of the places where you hear the N-word often, sometimes gratuitously, it's in hip-hop and rap music. The word has been in lyrics of MCs and rappers as long as MCing and rapping has been a thing. What do artists mean when they use the word? How did a book, how did a song, pardon me, inspire a book about one artist's search for the word's origins? My next guest is here to talk about that. P.E. McCollum, a.k.a. Pal Shadows, is a hip-hop artist and organizer who wrote the book NGR, What Does It Mean? An expose on the N-word from a hip-hop perspective. He's a former guest of the show who appeared on our Beats and Rhymes episode. I'd like to welcome him back to This Is Nashville. Pal, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me once again, Khalil. Peace and love. Peace and love, my man. So you're an artist who's been making hip-hop music for decades. Let me ask you, has the N-word been a part of your lyrics? Uh, You know, that's a great question, Khalil. Yes, in short. The short answer, yes, it it, has. Has it always been that way? (sighs) Yes, Khalil. And, you know, I, I've gone through periods with it where I, I I started out using it because I started out as a gangster rapper. A mm-hmm. lot of people don't know that. Pal Shadows was a gangster rapper. But, uh, I, 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 you know, as consciousness came to me and, and, and as certain information came, like the, the, the knowledge of self and, and all of that, looking at the N-word as bad or like how Chris Rock talked about, you know, the N-word. And, and I, I love black people, but I hate. In words, you know, mm-hmm. then then yeah, I stopped using it. But then over time, it creeped back in. You know, it creeped back in. So, what was it like when it crept back into your lyrics? It was like freedom of expression, and like Tupac said, you know, like in in my book, I talk about you know the N I G G A, never ignorant, getting goals accomplished. And I was like, yeah, I can dig that. And then I felt like maybe maybe I'm saying this. As and now, now today, as I say, I say maybe I had that affinity because deep down somewhere in my DNA, I knew that it started somewhere positive, and then turned negative. Maybe I knew that in my DNA, but I never was offended by the word. Only when I was called it with the hard R, and mm. in, in a negative term, then I was. But I would always be offended if anybody called me any word with a negative tone. Mm. I hate that black man over there. I would hate. I wouldn't like that either. Mm. I understand where you're coming from. So you wrote the book, Exploring yeah. the N-Word and its Relationship to Hip-Hop Culture. Tell me why did you write the book? Well, you know, I I really wanted to, I've been wanting to write a book for a while. And I wanted it to be hip-hop oriented. You know, writing is one of my strong points. And then, I, but I wanted, I said, okay, my first book has to be dynamic. I, I needed, I wanted, I wanted to be dynamic with some good content. 
And I just thought about it. It just hit me one day. Um, I tell you what, I, I, was, I, I have a song called NGR because I do have a music project to go along with the book NGR. What does it mean in expose on the N-word from a hip-hop perspective? But I have a music project called the NGR Project. And I wanted to, uh, I played it for some white friends of mine, some quote-unquote white friends of mine. And, my, and, and um, then one of my songs, it was like, you know, I used the hard R. And he was like, wow, pal, that's bold. That's, I look, cause I looked at him to see his response. And he was like, he was like, it's like, that don't offend you in any kind of way. That don't make you, he was like, nah, actually, I think that's very interesting that you, you know, were bold enough to say it and, and do that. Nobody really, and that got me thinking, maybe, you know, um, um, if he can handle it, maybe, the, and he's somebody I know that's of European descent, maybe the rest of the quote unquote white community can handle this content. Cause I know my people can handle it. You know, the black and indigenous people of the world, we don't have a problem with the word. But can these white people who are using it every day in their in their vernacular now, they're the, the especially the young ones from the hood that walk up on me from the hip hop community and, and say, yo, my my and they've done that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, multiple occasions. I've had white people use that word to me. So that's what made me write the book was just all of this controversy that, you know, the N word is considered the most offensive word in the English language. It's the most offensive word, not, not, not anything else. The N word is the most offensive word in the English language. So these types of things is what made me write the book. And, and also hearing NGR and Nagus and Nagas in other people's lectures I was like, what is this about? It made me do research. So that those are the, all of those things. I want to ask you about the research you've done a little bit later, but talk about the sensitivities that you approached the project with, seeing that, you know, different people take this word differently, and yet yeah. you're trying to communicate to a wide swath of folks as possible. How did you approach that with the sensitivity that's necessary? First of all, I thought about my mom. Mm, okay. <laughs> My mom was the, the you know, I, I said, you know, my mom's going to want to know, you know, my son just wrote a book, so she's going to check it out. And my mom um, was someone who, over the years, despised my use of the word. I mean, early on, and she heard me and my cousin using the word, oh, don't y'all be saying that word, don't y'all be using that word. But me and my friends used it as a term of endearment from day one, Khalil. Mm-hmm. It was a term of endearment. We had no, it no negative connotations. I mean, since my earliest times. But my mom, thinking of her and all the other elders, you know, in the book I talk about that there was in two different cities in Detroit and in Houston. There was a funeral. There were two funerals for the N word, with a complete with a whole procession, a caskets, fake casket mock burials, and everything from our elders. And people came out and spoke, and and they buried we as a community. Our elders buried the N-word. So in, in, in doing and finding all this out in the research, it made me and my mom <laughs> and the other elders in my family made me say, let me approach this sensitive with sensitivity because I know it's a sensitive word. I am not one to throw the word around. And in fact, you know, all you uh, all the people, white cats that's listening, I always respected the, the, the quote unquote white folk who has sensitivity to me about the N-word and, and didn't use it, you know, willy-nilly around mm-hmm. me. I always respected those kind of white cats, white friends of mine who, who who had that respect. How did your mother and the elders in your family react once you published the book? <laughs> I got to laugh again because 
when my mom heard, like I said, I have a, a music project to go with it called the NGR Project, available on Spotify. I'm sorry, along so the NGR Project, and um, basically that the NGR Project, I let my mom hear the first song called NGR, and when she heard that, she despised it. She 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 was like, "This is not this is not it, this is not it, son." And and I said, "Okay." I knew she might respond like that, but I thought that at the same time, she could appreciate the 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 research aspect of it, the did, scholarly aspect. Did she ever come around to appreciate it? She finally, once I wrote the book, she finally did come around, and she was more, I think she was just more or less proud that her son wrote a book and did something positive, but she did read it, and she actually ended up saying, I see where you were coming from. Okay. Now, talk to me a little bit about the writing and research process for this book. What, what did you do? <laughs> Briefly, the writing and research project for the book was very extensive. You know, um, I found myself working from home um, during this period, and I said I got a lot of time on my hand, so I decided to do something constructive with that time and write this book. So it was uh, six to eight hours a day um, for about four and a half months, and then you know, of course, the the three weeks of editing and then the 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 actual publishing and everything. So. That the the writing process was like, you know, get my coffee, you know, and dig and just dig. I encourage everybody to 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 dig, dig deep. And I was I wanted to tackle this. So anything that I could find, certain books that were referred to me, I ordered, I read um, certain papers. I read papers, books like uh, E.A. E. A. Wallace, E.A. Wallace Budge's book, An Egyptian Hieroglyphic Dictionary. I read that. Philip Ng, uh, Philip Chidi and Jamanzi's book um, on a, uh, the Yoruba writer on the Yahweh culture, um, and where, for instance, he talks about Ngaori, the N word coming from Ngaori, which Ngaori is a Nigerian word which means place of God. But if you remove all the vowels in Ngaori, then there's Ngr that's left. Okay, so what did you discover about the N word? <sighs> I Khalil. And I hope I answered your question. Did I answer your question yeah. about the writing process? Um, what I discovered about the N-word was that aside from being the most controversial word, it's the most interesting word in the English language. It, it started out in ancient Africa, what we call Africa today, among the people that we today call Africans. And it meant um, in ancient Egypt, for instance, which we know as um, Kemet, it, was, it meant emperor or ruler or king. Um, in ancient Ethiopia, it appeared in the ancient Gies language as the word Negus, like uh, Emperor Hela Selassie, Ja Rastafari of the Rasta culture is known as Negus Negas, which means the king of kings. These are the origins of the N-word, and in ancient Egypt, NGR is the title title of my book. That's the primary one. But also in ancient India, I found was very interesting that the ancient Indians are descendants of the ancient Kushites or the ancient Ethiopians. They were the original um, um, ancient Indians, and they used the term Nagas to refer to their king. So, And then um, over time, I, I noticed that the Greeks, once they invaded the Nile Valley, they took the word and it, became, it appeared in Latin. But now it becomes descriptive, and it becomes um, Niger. They add vowel sounds because in NGR, it, uh, the ancient languages did not have vowel sounds. It was just NGR. These these sounds were added in in, in uh, Greek and Latin. It became Niger, which is Latin for black, and then Spanish is ne negro, 
which if you remove the vowels from Negro, you have NGR also. Um, and then I found that over the time between the interactions of the quote unquote black people, these Africans and the Europeans, as the view and the opinions of the Europeans shifted about, about the black people and the Africans, then the, 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 the meaning of the N word shifted and changed as well. And then it became as something that originally meant something aggrandizing and positive like emperor, ruler, king, deity um, to something uh, derogatory. Okay, so that's your understanding of the word and its origins. Briefly, how did that process of writing the book, how did it impact you when you finished it? It's funny because um, I, I have white and black friends, quote unquote white and black friends, two terms I'm, I don't really care for. But um, the way it impact, I, I noticed that some of some of my white Caucasian friends were were worried that they were concerned that my attitude was was shifting, but what it was was that I was serious about the project, and they were just like, "How?" I think they were wondering, "How can you be diving this deep on the N word and not be mad?" You know, in mm. some kind of way. But but here's what I came up with: what I, I realized that black pain does not have to equal white guilt. So if I'm ever just just writing anything about something that affects the black culture and the N-word certainly has affected us pain-wise because it was used in a very derogatory sense, even though it came from something positive. And, and it, we were called that as dogs were sicked on us as we were lynched and the pain is deep. But that pain does not have to equal white guilt. But um, I, I felt like I, I became more enriched. Hmm. I was not, it did not make me angry at all because I think knowledge and understanding makes you more peaceful and makes you more um, calm because you now can approach things from a, from an intellectual and a mental standpoint rather than physical. All right. Now, also with us is Mike Floss, Nashvilleian and hip-hop artist. He also works in the act as an activist and organizer and is a former guest of the show. Mike, you, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Oh, man, appreciate you having me. You know, hip-hop is a word that's used so often. You mm -hmm. look, look up. I was looking up songs that have N-word in the title, and I found a list that was pages and pages long. Yeah. There's famous groups with N-word in their title, NWA most notably. I'm curious about the proliferation in the N-word, and has it possibly desensitized listeners of hip-hop to it? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think I think it I think it can. I think it's possible. I don't I think you would have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis though, because every artist is coming from a different context. So to me, I mean, just to kind of agree with something that Powell was saying is it's all about the meaning behind what you say more so than what you say. Um, like why you're doing something or why you're saying something. So I think that's most important. I think the sensitivity towards it could be useful. Um, and I also think it could become distracting. So, I mean, it all depends on the context. Do you use the word in your songs? Oh, yeah, for sure. Have you ever struggled using the word? Uh, more so than using the word, I struggle with using my experience. So sometimes you find, as an artist, you find yourself in front of groups of people that do not share your same experience. So everything that you're saying may feel totally different. You know, they may think you're glorifying the thing where you're talking about how badly it hurts you. Or, you know, or they may think... You're talking about being in pain and you're talking about being in love. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Just mm -hmm. because of their preconceived notions of what the words you're saying are and they don't share your experience. So that becomes really awkward as a performer when you're standing on stage and then you look in a crowd and it's a bunch of people that don't look nothing like you and don't feel nothing like you. But they're they, saying every and they're, word. They're, they're nodding their head to it. They may not be saying every word, but they're enjoying music that actually may be like 
not supposed to be the fun record. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So I think I think experiences and context really uh, are are more a heavy weight than just the word itself. You know, some MCs rarely curse in their music. I'm thinking about the legendary MC Rakim. Mm-hmm. Many credit he brought a new level of innovation to hip hop back in the '80s and MCing in the '80s. He doesn't swear in his music at all, mm-hmm. but he uses the N word. Mm-hmm. You know, and and artist choice is artist choice. It seems that, but it's interesting to me that the N word is given a pass when swear words are kind of prohibited by certain artists. What do you think? Hmm. Uh, when you say prohibited, you mean like on the radio, or what do you mean? Well, no, they just choose not to use it. Fresh oh, Prince, okay. Fresh Prince is uh, Will Smith, and yeah. some of his records didn't really curse, yeah. but the N word comes out. Yeah, you know? yeah. I look, I look at writers a lot, like I look at painters and visual artists. You feel me? Like I think certain words can be the color red. So if you want to use the color red in your painting, you may want to use a word that could strike the ear as something that's like, oh, that's a lot to hear at one time. But I'm trying to create a visceral reaction because that's the feeling that this song is supposed to generate, you know. And sometimes you got to step on people's toes to make them wake up. Like I think um, I think Lauren Hill has a line about that, too. And it's just about it's about art and it is about like feelings and vibe, but it's also about the energy that you're trying to, you're trying to create and stimulate in the listener. So I think all of those choices is up to whoever makes the choice, but I think that's why it's happening. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the usage of the N word in hip hop and rap music. My guests are PE McCollum, AKA Pal Shadows and Mike Floss. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at this is Nashville question for you both. Is there a difference between hip-hop and rap music when it comes to the n-word pal from your experience where do you find the word being used the most well first of all hip-hop is rap rap is hip-hop rhythm and poetry but it was separated due to the industrialization of the art forms so now it is different um so in rap music, which is commercialized music, in my opinion, um, um, it is the, it music hip hop that does not focus on the breakbeat, and uh, it focuses on 808s, hi hats, um, and things like that. That's more rap. Hip hop focuses on four four elements, uh, five elements: MC and DJ and graffiti art, breaking and um, and uh, beatboxing, produ- production. So. In rap music, I find it's used mostly because in hip hop, which where you find MCs, MCs are, are more griots and, and 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 they are more lyrical. And when you're more lyrical, you have more uses, expansions of your of your wordplay. And um, with rap, it, it's party stuff. It's they're not trying to get you to think really. So the that's that and, and and so the vocabulary becomes more limited. It's not focused on being lyrical. It's more vibey. And in that situation, I feel like um, the N word is going to get thrown out more just because off off the rip because they're not really expanding their vocabulary there. Um, but I I think that both use it as a term of endearment though. Um, there is not many in my in my findings there is no black and indigenous people who use this word um, derogatory um, as meaning derogatory in its original sense. When they use it, however, it can become derogatory when they are angry at one another, um, black and indigenous people, and then use it as the same derogatory way that um, slave masters and and people used it. Mike? Uh, Man, I think um, I I agree and disagree with some of what you said, pal, but I think the the beauty of um, context, again, 
with like subgenres that exist inside of hip hop to me, they may not exist on like radio stations and award ceremonies, but in my opinion, there's subgenres in um I don't think rap is necessarily like the dumbed down version of hip hop or like a thing that's like a lower tier of art. I just think it's a different form. I think it's a different medium. Um depending on the subgenre and I consider myself a rapper. You know, I also consider myself a hip hop artist. I see I see fashion brands that I feel like that's a hip hop fashion brand. You know do, what I mean? Do you consider yourself an MC? No, I never call myself an MC, but okay. I think... <laughs> okay, all right. That, that's, think, that's context. I that's, think I rap context. better than a lot of people that consider themselves MCs, but I think okay. I also think like in this day and age, like MCing kind of implies a nostalgic and like um, vintage form of the art, and I feel okay. myself okay. being in a, as a more of an Afrofuturist. But I think... Right. Um, I like it. I think... Uh, one thing that always struck me, and Michael Eric Dyson says a lot of things that I disagree with as well, but one thing I, I do agree with that he said was black people's ability to have linguistic malleability, where mm. we can take something that may mean something in, an, in one culture and use it and, can, and change it and mold it and form it to be something useful, which is kind of what the idea of blackness in this country is, is finding things that may not be designed for our good and finding a way to salvage something out of it. So I think that in, in the usage of language and in the uses of art is what we do. Yeah, yesterday, one of our, in our discussion, our one of our guests, Reverend Davey Tucker, talked about a scenario from a movie where a white man loved a particular hip-hop song, had the N-word in it. When he was around his black friend, he would sing the song, but omit from singing that word. But when he was by himself, mm -hmm. he sang all of the lyrics, mm -hmm. you know? And... Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in conversations with non-black people who struggle with that. They love a song or they love an artist, but they refrain from using the word. And mm -hmm. each person has their own way to approach this. And, Mike, you kind of talked about it earlier when you talked about, you know, performing in crowds who mm -hmm. don't look like you. But let me ask, how would you advise a non-black person how to approach a song that has the N-word in it? Perhaps it may be even one of your songs. What would you say to that person? Don't say it. It's very simple. I think <laughs> I think it's very simple. Pretty I think people drop. I think people often choose to be willfully ignorant and ignore the historical context of that term. And also, I think it's an invitation for you to experience what black people experience every day with being excluded from things that they enjoy. So if if you feel as though you want to be an ally and want to be in support of this uh of this culture and of this people to understand that that's an opportunity for you to feel some of that exclusion that we have not been able to rid ourselves from since we stepped foot on this country. Pal? Uh, so first and foremost um I don't think that 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 rap is a dumbed down version of of hip hop. Okay. Um um you know I respect Migos and um they're one of my favorite groups. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, in terms of, um, repeat, repeat your question, Khalil. You know, how would you advise a person who's non-black, yeah. who loves a song, maybe they love Tupac, who's got an yeah. album strictly for my ends, uh -huh. and they want to sing the title track. Oh, all right. Uh, back to his mm -hmm. don't do it <laughs> statement. Okay. <laughs> um, like I say, I got a chapter in the book where, a section in the book where I talk about white people using the quote unquote whites using the N word. And, uh, listen, I'm not here to tell you to use it or not. Like I say, remember, there's consequence to everything that you think, do, and say. And whereas somebody like me or Mike Floss, we might not pop off when somebody says that, to, when, a, when a white person says it. But there are certain black and indigenous people who will definitely pop off 
when you use that. I'm one of them. So, okay, so Mike Flaws might just pop off on you. Pal Shadows, I might not. I might laugh at you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When you call me that, because I know the whole context of the word. I I'm literally wrote the book on it. So for me, it's a little bit different. For Mike, it's a little bit different. But like I say in the book, you got to respect both points of view, mm -hmm. you know, and you better respect both points of view because, hey, it's, 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 there's another section in my book called At Your Own Risk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. I think that's the Mike Foss aspect. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> so, at Your Own Risk. I, I really want to thank both of you for yeah. coming on and having this conversation. My guests are Mike Floss, hip-hop artist and organizer, and P.E. McCollum, a.k.a. Pal Shadows, hip-hop artist and author of the book NGR, What Does It Mean? An expose on the N-word from a hip-hop perspective. Again, thanks to you both for being here. Really appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having us. Peace, peace. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the other public forum where you hear the N-word being used, the world of stand-up comedy. You can share your thoughts with us by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're discussing the N-word. It's actually part two of our conversation. To hear part one, check out our podcast version. Today, we're looking at the public spaces where you're most likely to hear the word. Now, before the break, we talked about the usage of the word in hip-hop and rap music. Now let's turn to the world of comedy, specifically the stand-up comedy circuit. Joining me now is a comedian who spent years doing stand-up comedy, and he's a former guest of the show. I'd like to welcome comedian Brad Sativa back to This Is Nashville. Brad, thanks for being here, my man. Man, yeah, thank y'all for having me. Appreciate okay, note, note for listeners, we are recording live and we're required to hit a five-second dump button every time someone uses the N-word. It causes really a little bit of an odd-sounding break in the dialogue, but you can hear the uncut version of today's show later on in the podcast. Brad, let me ask you, do you use the N-word in your stand-up comedy sets? Uh, yes, I do, but in a very limited capacity. Um for one, because like performing in mainstream rooms, uh, which is considered white rooms, um, I'm not just going to be freelancers throwing like nigga around. Um, like I do have jokes that it, it makes sense for me to use it, so I'll, I'll use it in those jokes. But yeah, I don't just do it in a cavalier way, but do it for actually a reason or context. When was the first time you heard the word in your life? Man, I, I, like I was... I was thinking about that. I'm thinking it was like my grandma. You know what I'm saying? My grandma called like because I'm like the baby of all the grandkids, so all the grandkids was over there. But, yeah, my grandma would, would definitely use that word. Okay. You know what I'm saying? For sure. When was the first time the word was used against you? Yes. Um, I had to be maybe in third, fourth grade. It was like this kid maybe in like – he was like in first grade, and but he was – he called me uh, – he called me a nigga on the bus, and I remember – Hitting them with a blow pop, bro. Like, yeah. Wow. Tried to hurt that kid too, for real. I was like, but yeah, I remember doing. I'm like, I don't know, but I knew early on though. I like, I really, um, I was very aware that I was black. I was very aware of stereotypes very early in. So, I, I had a very like strong mind against like people that I consider like try to authority, like try to be authority over me or try to use 
any kind of force like that. That you know, when I talk to people in life and and on the show yesterday, it kind of seems the average is like second, third, fourth grade is where a lot of people have the word used against them. That's pretty early on, but you become a little bit aware about the world. Now, if we look at the history of black comics, we see that they've pretty much used the word. Red Fox, Richard Pryor, Robin Harris, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Cat Williams, the list goes on. Here's a clip from a Richard Pryor set from 1972. It's called Eulogy. We are gathered here today on this sorrowful occasion to say goodbye to the dearly departed. He was dearly and he has departed. Thus, that's why we call him the dearly departed. In other words, the nigga dead. As you can see him laying here, I've been here three days, the boy ain't moved a muscle. So I know the nigga dead. And it seemed that death was quite a surprise to his ass. Didn't think you was ever gonna die, did you, nigga? Mm, I told you about fucking around what was going to happen. Okay, so he uses the word effectively like people do colloquially. It kind of flowed out of him. But I'm curious, Mm -hmm. when you first got into comedy, Brad, did you feel pressure to use the word? Uh, Not really. Uh, Because, like I said, I've been around white people my whole life. So I've never, and you know what I'm saying, so I've always... Like conducting myself or know how to conduct myself around white people. Like even around there, I'm not just throwing nigga around even with my white friends like that, not too casually. Just because, like I said, I don't even want them to get the idea of thinking that it's, it's kind of okay or it's kind of pretty no go with me. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. But but when I when I first got in, yeah, I kind of was like I said conscientious of, of what I was using. Just because even now it's like. Like this week is like my ninth year of doing comedy. And Congratulations! So, I, yeah, appreciate it. And even just a, it's been a cultural change in the last nine, ten years that's that's been pretty significant. So it's, it's jokes that that I might would reword now that when I started nine years ago, mm-hmm. just because of just a more education, uh, more information out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like before, let's like say before I get an idea. It's like before you can do a lot of stuff in ignorant, like in ignorance. But it's like once you learn that stuff, what stuff about people and what you that they can hurt people for real, and like you kind of like try to walk it a little bit back. You know what I'm saying? I do have growth in that kind of way. So you know, stand up comedy is one half you do, but there's also sketch comedy out there. Mm-hmm. You do sketch comedy as well. I do. Is the word used in sketch in sketch comedy at the same rate as it is in stand up? I'd see that that it just depends. It's uh, I get an idea. You have like you got somebody like Chappelle who does have. Uh, a, a good mainstream base, which would mean more a lot of white people, a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So, him using nigga is different from Cat Williams or Cedric the Entertainer or some other like known to consider themselves urban. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Or black comics for a black audience. You know what I'm saying? So if you're using like Bernie Mac, Bernie Mac uses if he using like nigga in front of people, he knows that ninety percent of his audience is black. And he knows that, that, you know what I'm saying? So that it's a relation thing, and he's relating. But like I said, it's a difference. He go up there, use nigga a hundred times in front of 
a thousand white people that you know what I'm saying. Some just feel weird about that. You know what I'm saying? For me, for me, you know what I'm saying. Like Chappelle, like, like he always keeps the you know what I'm saying. He stays pretty aware of what's going on, even though he might abide or not abide. It's just but he does know what's going on. You know, we couldn't have a segment, we couldn't have a show about the N-word, about comedy, without hearing from Nashville Public Radio's Blackshin team. This, in this quick adventure, they're posed with they're posed with an interesting conundrum. The date is August 6, 2023. The place, somewhere in Nashville, but most likely East Nashville. Let's listen. Hey, how are you? Oh, my God, it's been so long since we've seen each other. Hey, Oh, wait, hold on a second. Did you see this? See what? This big fight that happened at the riverfront in Montgomery yesterday. What? It was wild. What happened? Well, there's this group of drunk folks who were blocking the dock with their boat. And it's important to say that all the drunk people are white, okay? And then there's this guy who works on the docks, and he's black. And he's asking the people to move their boat so that this big-ass riverboat can dock. And it's like a tourist sightseeing thing. Okay. And then the drunk people, they get all rude and confront the man who is just doing his job. They're pointing, and Lord knows what they're saying, but you can see... Here, hold on, let me rewind. Yeah, right there. You see the dock worker throw his hat off? Like, it is on. Oh, he looks fed up. Right? So that's when the fists start flying, and it's like seven on one. That's just wrong. Yeah, but okay, it doesn't stop there. You can see here in the water, this young dude jumps from the boat and swims to help his colleagues deal with these drunk fools. Look, there's other workers coming to the rescue as well. Yeah, and that's where it gets really real for the drunk folks. Take a look. So there's young men, old men, and even some women are getting into it. Fighting, throwing punches. It was a mess. Oh my God, what is going on? Yeah, and then more people get involved and it turns into a whole brawl. And then there's this part. Uh, yeah, okay, this man, he, look at him. He's grabbing this plastic folding chair and uses it in the brawl. What? Yeah, he's just swinging this thing around like he's Paul Bunyan or something. Paul Bunyan! And when a woman with the drunk boaters steps to him, he hits her in the head. Oh, my. I know. At first I was like, wow, that lady got hit in the head with a chair. But then I said to myself, that n- deserved it. Hold on. Wait a minute. go. I'm sorry, man. You in violation of language code 5.672323, subsection 9. Paragraph 8, where it clearly states that any person who is not of African descent cannot use the... I think there's a misunderstanding. What you're misunderstanding is that it is not cool for you to use that word. Hey, look, we understand that you are an ally, but you can't just go around using that word. That's what makes you not an ally anymore. I I just want it to be known that I'm the staunchest of allies. I am, too. I was referring to the white woman when I said it. And I used an A, not the hard R. Oh, hold up. You, you was talking about a white person? Hmm. Wait a second. We didn't go over this in our training. Look, I don't know what we should do. Khalil, what does the manual say? Okay, hold up, hold up. Okay, okay. Looking at the manual, it reads, when a person of non-African descent uses the N-word to talk about another person who is not of African descent, please refer to the appendix as this section has been updated. Well? Okay, let me, hold up, hold up. Oh, yes, okay. Let's get to the appendix. Okay, here it is. It says, this section has not been completed and has been waiting for an update since 
1983. That's before I was born. Please proceed at your own risk. Damn, I don't know what we should do. I mean, we could write up a citation, but that feels like it'd be kind of wrong. That's why we needed more than three weeks of training, man. That's what happens when you pay $35. So am I free to go? Yeah, you go. Go ahead. I'm hungry anyway. Y'all hungry? We had the Cracker Barrel. They pancakes are so crispy. Mm-hmm, they are, too. I'm kind of hungry. You can only have avocado toast so many times a week. Am I right? Man, don't make me write you up. All right, joining me now is my partner on the Blackshin team. This is Nashville producer Elizabeth Burton. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. Okay, so listening to that skit, what are your thoughts about that situation, about a white person using the N-word to describe another white person? You know, when you brought it up, as when we were writing these, I thought it was funny, but like the more I think about it, there's so many words in the English language. There's so many words. I'm like... Why do people feel so insistent that they need to say this one? I'm like, there's a lot of ways to call somebody crazy or dumb or whatever they were, they would be trying to get across in this hypothetical scenario. But I'm like, y'all, say something else, please, please. Yeah, I understand, Brad. That's called the Morgan Wallen. That's the that's what that, that's that move called. That's the Morgan Wallen. That's what he did. You know what I'm saying? So, but somebody they be like, oh, you trying to do the Morgan Wallen? You can call him out for that. Okay. Uh, like I, I have a joke about about when, what I actually met uh, Kid Rock, and um, it was even crazier. It was like he 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 used the N word describe like he said that D L Hughley. So we having a conversation, and he was like, I came in late, and D L Hughley was like, Kid Rock, you one crazy ass white nigga, and he and he and he said this story to me, and I'm looking at this fool, and I'm like, that's what wild says. Why he just used like. Nigga in the third person with a white, like with a black dude calling you the word. Yeah. So it was like he trying to, like it was a, I was like, I, I say that was the funny part about it. Like, yeah, it ain't funny, but it was still like that was, you try to find the humor and whatever, you know what I'm saying? Nice. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's people do that, do crazy stuff like that. Like, also I'll say this, you, like, if you go out to California, it's a it's a known thing in California. Everybody just use nigga cavalier. Like, it don't matter if you're Asian. If you you're black, you're white, you're you're Hispanic, they just they they all use it very loosely in the West Coast, especially if you're young. You know what I'm saying? Anybody from like 25 and under, they're gonna just be using that word, throwing it all around. Mm. Now, recently interviewing kids for another story, managing editor Tasha A. F. Lemley captured a conversation between young white boys discussing the usage of the N word. The oldest is really trying to educate the younger ones. Let's listen. The N-word is, like, kind of used before a word. Like, you say, a black person would say, N-word this to enforce, like, they really want you to do this, so they use this word to enforce, do this. You know what I mean? It's not mean. It's not, most of the time, it's not intended to be mean. It's just a word that flows with their vocabulary because it's been kind of handed down and they've adopted it into their little, uh, com- they've adopted it into their community. It's their word. They say it and it's almost never meant to be me. But not for white people, only for black people. Why are you guys even talking about that? I mean, so what do y'all think about that? I mean, Miss Clemmy G- Greenlee, guest yesterday, said that, you know, 
kids use it because they don't know about the history of it. People have to teach them. It sounds like these young men are taking it upon their own hands. Uh, that's the that's the ability that kids have now. It's like that's uh, that's when, like I said, referring back to material. That's when it's like when they try to ban stuff. It's like these kids have the internet now. It's like so you can tell kids whatever they can just look up and find out the real history or real like conversations about a lot of things. Now you can't just ban them from that. And that's also conversations should be had around it. Like if, if you're a white person that's that you go to school with with black people that you consider your real good friends. When they tell you that the curriculum is the curriculum is off, that should be something you should want to know what is off about it. If you're a true friend and ally, and if you truly want to know things, so that's why I do think think a lot of white people need to take like responsibility for that, especially if they banning history going forward. Uh, that if you consider yourself hanging and, and entertaining black people and bringing them into your homes or going to their homes. It's certain responsibility that you should kind of know what what black people have to deal with. Elizabeth, real briefly. I mean, my mom would love that. She teaches third grade. She loved how he broke down the context and the appropriate use. I think that's pretty cool that, like you're saying, despite all these different bands and things like that, kids are still trying to educate each other and keep each other on the up and up. Yeah, I think it's up for all of us to keep each other on the up and up. I want to thank both of my guests so much. Comedian Brad Sativa, thank you for being here. And producer... And Blackshin team member, Elizabeth Burton. Thanks to you both for being with us. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's take one more quick break. We got to take this short break, but when we come back, we'll hear from my father, my dad, about his thoughts on the N-word. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. These past two days have been host to some intense, sensitive, and if you ask me, necessary conversations about the N-word. And as I said at the beginning of the show, I think it's the most complicated word in the American English language. People have bled and died because of this word. People have also laughed and celebrated over this word as well. Everyone has their thoughts and feelings about the word. If you use it regularly, rarely, or the word never comes across your lips, that is your choice. How you respond when others use the word is also your choice. Context is important, but history is imperative. When sharing my plans for these shows about the N-word with my father a few weeks ago, he asked me if he could offer some thoughts. After a bit of phone tag, some retired people truly make their own schedules. I was able to record some of what my father had to say. So here's my dad, Adamola A. Colonna, with his thoughts about the N-word. My name is Ademola Epungbemi Ekulona. Well, I've been alive for 77 years and done all kinds of little odd jobs. I've been a floor scraper, a newspaper boy, a clerk, and a messenger. Then I became a TV news reporter, producer, and then I moved into writing and producing corporate video and also did a lot of community work. When I retired, I was directing a anti-violence program in Baltimore City. I still work doing rites of passage, advising and consulting. I am a student of the narratives of the persons who were enslaved or had been enslaved in the United States. And when you read any narratives, you see that that term 
had been accepted because certain whites would use it and they would use it for certain purposes. But the intent of it was to dehumanize because it has no definition other than its function to dehumanize and to categorize a human being so that they would not even imagine deserving agency or self-determination. It's a term that carries a specific insult to the individual that is symbolic of the kind of human abuses that the Africans had to endure as they became Americans. There was terror, intentional fear in the system of white supremacy, creating grounds that would make it difficult for any African American to do anything outside of the structures of that system. What bothers me most is that it is symbolic of the lack of agency that was expected of anyone who would be called that word. You were not supposed to have any ability or even awareness that you could do something for yourself. You had to be oriented toward the persons who needed that word to institute the processes of white supremacy. There was not one end who got off of a slave ship. They became ends here on the auction block and throughout the practices of enslavement. And so they didn't come from Africa with that and their descendants should not accept it because the descendant has no meaning. If your destiny is that of an end, then you know you have to wait for somebody to define you. You certainly can't take any action outside of the scope of what that definer would allow. I've heard people in hip-hop culture say that it's a term of endearment. Well, it's the term of endearment that is a curse. If you accept it, it is a curse. But you're saying that you can be manipulated and purchased by other people, so you don't need agency. You don't have the authority to claim your own sense of self. And you must accept the designation from outside of yourself. How could I dare walk into the public library and sit at the table where there were white people? What do you mean? You don't belong in this library. Well, in the 1950s, that's what I had to do, I had to experience. I knew that if I heard the word uttered, I knew that it was targeted for me to hear and that there was reasoning behind it often to provoke me into making some kind of display or to get up and leave. Well, I, I learned to endure it stoically. If I came to the library for research or reading, and it wasn't to correspond with anybody, so except the librarian, so they weren't gonna get it from me. And that puts you in the settings, because I, you know, I was on the tip of the spear of the civil rights movement. You know, integrating things became part of my adolescent defiance. You know, if they said, 
well, black people don't go up there, well, I would go. And I'd go in, in the front door, turn it into, we will be integrated, whether anybody likes it or not. And now I don't think that's necessary, but it's certainly that that word would mean that there were people around who wanted to perpetuate the system of white supremacy. Where did it come from, the system of white supremacy? And where is it useful in the system of white supremacy that can be accepted by people who are victims of that system of white supremacy? What is so shocking is that even in the midst of the uh, black consciousness movement, that that word was not completely expunged from African-American colloquialisms. And um, it's just alarming that we have a younger generation that has completely endorsed it. It's symbolic of the application of white supremacy over the lives and therefore the destinies of African people. And so I completely oppose it. I, I hope that the people who invented hip hop and these people who invented the commercialization of that word that benefited the hip hop industry, they have to clean it up. There should be something that they're able to put into a couplet that allows the young people to realize that it was a mistake if you're going to be part of the canon of African-American creativity and music, clean it up because the children should not need to hear that a hundred years from now. You know, they're listening to the oldies. You know, I got six children, so I didn't really have a life until they all turned 25, and that's been a few years ago. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's about, about it. Thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by yours truly with some help from Elizabeth Burton. It was directed by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. Live tweeting handled by Elizabeth Burton. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Willie Bigfella Sims, Carrie Pagetta, Magnolia McKay, Blaze Ganey, and Catherine Cece's. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at this is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>